as Evan pointed out, it's Labor Day weekend. Jim's not here. He's on his not necessarily last-minute vacation because it's planned every year. Uh, they go to Cannon Beach. And since my wife and I have started attending church here, it has become our tradition that I get to preach to you on Labor Day. So that way Jim can go on vacation. Uh, so I look forward to it. It's highlighted on my calendar. Jim texted me just to make sure. He's like, I'm pretty certain you're doing this and you're prepared for it, but just here's like the official like invitation that you'll be doing this. I'm like, yep, I'm there. We're doing it. Um, so the fact that you guys are all here, I'm going to assume you guys had amazing vacations earlier in the summer um, and are here today getting ready for the school routine, right? School is starting back up. A couple parents say, woohoo. All the youth are looking at me like, no. Um, but school starting, and if you could pray for me specifically, because my oldest begins kindergarten. And it's one of those things like the transition is coming. Um, there's part of me that looks forward to it with great anticipation. And there's part of me that looks forward to it with great hesitation and sadness. Um, so if you could pray for me, that would be great. So today... I was thinking like, well, what are we going to be covering? We, we've gone through, I've been going through Matthew with the youth. And so today we're going to take an extended look at communion. Evan mentioned already up front from the, during the announcements that we, we observe communion here at LifePoint every Sunday, pretty much every Sunday. And so today we're just going to take a little bit of time and we're going to slow down and we're going to look at it a little bit more in depth. Just a little bit more in depth. So today we're going to look at a passage in Matthew, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. I'm going to have the words up here on the screen. Let's go ahead and read this together. So if you're willing and able, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word together. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is God's word. You may be seated. Whenever I, I, I come to passages, I like to, I like to ask questions about it. Um, it's one of the things that you know, I'm hoping to teach our youth is to be able to ask questions and kind of engage with the text as they're reading it. And as we come to this passage here uh, that Jesus is, is, is talking about, some of the questions right off the bat is, who are they and what are they eating? And well, what's the deal with this whole um, body, bread, blood, wine analogy? Like what's going on there? What is this, this covenant? And if your Bible's like mine, it has a little, little number there next to it, and it says that some of them refer to it as the new covenant. So we well, you know what's this new covenant as compared to an old covenant? What is a covenant? And why does it end with Jesus saying that, you know, someday this, this reminder that someday we'll drink of this together again in my Father's kingdom? Or just some of the questions as I was going across it and looking at it. And today we're going to look at kind of, there's two major points that we're going to look at, just kind of, in answering of those questions is that we're going to look a little bit at Passover and we're going to look a little bit at covenant today. So we're going to kind of go back and forth between the two. Because if we back up and if we look at the surrounding passages around this, we find out that Jesus is with his disciples. He's with his followers, those closest to him. 
Um, and they're getting ready to celebrate Passover. They're getting ready to celebrate Passover. So what is, what, what is Passover? Some of you, you know, you've heard of Passover. You know what Passover is. Some of you are like, I have no idea what Passover is. So today, as we look at Passover, we're going to jump back in time, and we're going to go to Exodus chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there, we're going we're gonna to go there together. And as you're turning there, Exodus chapter 12, we're going to kind of jump around to a couple different verses in there as we go. But just a little bit of backstory before we get here. So Joseph, coat of many colors guy. Bible like 101, going back to Sunday school. It's a coat of many colors. He's sold into slavery from his, by his brothers, and he's there in Egypt, and God has given him the ability to interpret dreams. And because of this, this, this gift that God has given him, he interprets the Pharaoh's dreams and saves Egypt and all the surrounding nations from this long famine. And Joseph is like second in command behind Pharaoh, like from what he has done, right? And then so Joseph brings all his family with him because there's food in Egypt, and brings them there. But soon, after some time has gone by, the next pharaoh, the pharaoh after, has forgotten what Joseph had done and has turned to Joseph and his ancestors into slaves. So now they've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 plus years. They've been enslaved. And then so God, then we get to the story of Moses, right? Comes along. How many of you guys, like, I, like I, I love watching the Ten Commandments, like, with Charlton Heston as Moses. Like, I have to watch it. I always joke with my wife that it's an Easter tradition that I have to watch. Like, Easter can't happen until I watch the Ten Commandments. Uh, just because I remember growing up as a kid, like, on the TV, like, we only had ten channels and you couldn't record anything. But I remember seeing ads for, like, the Ten Commandments on TV. And I always just thought that was so cool. Like, the Bible is going to be on TV. And it was this, like, six-hour marathon event, you know, to watch this four-hour movie with all the commercials. <laughs> and so we watch it, right? But, so, Moses has come. He's saying, telling that, you know, let my people go. Pharaoh won't let the people go, and so there's all these plagues that come upon the people. And Pharaoh still's not letting, he's still not letting God's people go. And so we come here in Exodus chapter 12 to the last plague. The last one that convinces Pharaoh to say, you guys get out of here. So here we go in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 5. So this is the instruction that God is giving to the people because the last plague is coming. He says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head, its legs, and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. I'm going to jump down to 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So they did. So these are the first instructions that are given to the people. That are given to the people who actually lived through it. I would imagine quite a, a scary event. That tonight, unless the blood is spread across your doorpost, the firstborn male will die. Not just of your families and your households, but of your oxen and your animals as well. So Passover, it's celebrated here. Kind of, they give some. They kind of give some grounds. There's more grounds later for the the, the feast of unleavened bread. But Passover is the first day of this feast. It's the first day. It's the day when the lamb is slaughtered. The Passover lamb is slaughtered, and it is eaten, and it's only on the first day. And then for the rest of the time, you're eating unleavened bread. This celebration, this tradition would be a celebration of God's deliverance. It'd be a celebration of God's deliverance of his people from slavery. 400 years. Celebrating the fact that death itself had passed over, hence Passover, had passed over them because the blood of the lamb 
was on their door. I think it's interesting to note here that Passover originally began uh, with families together in homes. They were families together in homes. And in that kind of family setting, there would be questions that were asked by younger generations as to why do we celebrate this? What, do, what is the point of this? Why do we do this? What is this service that we celebrate of Passover? And then as it moves later in, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, Moses kind of gives the, the, the same instructions now to the kind of the nation of Israel. And so the celebration of Passover, the observance of Passover moves from this family setting when it originally had happened to the entire nation of Israel to observe Passover. And not only did Passover celebrate God's deliverance, but it also prom- uh, celebrated his future provisions for his people. Because there he had told them, when you go into the land that you're to observe this, in, in Joshua, if you want to turn with me, Joshua chapter 5, right? The people are finally going to be entering the promised land. And they're camped out and they're waiting. And here in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover And on the 14th day of the month in the evening, on the plains of Jericho, and the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grains, and the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So here they celebrate Passover, They're about to enter the land that God has promised. They're entering God's promised land to them. And now that they're in this land, they've celebrated Passover, God's miraculous provision from their manna from heaven, for those of you who remember, like God provided manna for them to eat while they were wandering in the desert, that's now gone. The next day, it's gone. And now the land of promise that they're moving into is going to provide for them. The land of promise. It's going to provide for them. It's going to provide for their needs. Jesus himself has participated in the remembrance of Passover. If we were to look in Luke chapter 2, there's kind of that classic story where, where Jesus is, you know, it's a model of perfect parenting where Jesus is left behind in Jerusalem. And, and you know, and the parents, Mary and Joseph have to go back and find him. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple teaching. You know, it's said at the beginning there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41 that, that essentially they had went to Jerusalem as was kind of their annual tradition. They traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. There's an, an element to kind of Passover that there was kind of this pilgrimage aspect of celebrating Passover too. So people would, would travel to Jerusalem specifically. That they would travel there. And Jesus had been doing this since he was a boy. That they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this with the nation. We also see that Jesus as an adult in uh, John chapter 2, he, during Passover he comes in and there's the kind of classic scene too where Jesus forges a whip and changes out, chases out the money changers in his father's house. He was there to celebrate Passover and they were making a mockery of it. Has anyone here ever actually participated in like a Passover Seder? couple people, a handful of you, yeah. So the Passover Seder was, is kind of the meal, the Passover meal itself, 
that would have been eaten uh, that, you know, that first day when you're eating the lamb. And in a Passover Seder, there's, there's kind of this teaching element to it. Um, like today, even if you were to like Google Passover Seder, like you can kind of find out like kind of the liturgy of the things that they move through. And we can't necessarily project everything that is in the current celebration of Passover Seder onto what Jesus was doing, because we don't know exactly specifically the full order of service, but there are elements here in the story that definitely highlight that they were participating in that. Jesus was teaching in that. In, in Matthew twenty six thirty, it says that, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Normally, the Passover Seder would end with the singing of a hymn, normally a psalm. So the elements they would use to be teaching, they would use to teach. So we look at it again. He says, now as they were eating, the disciples were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So this, this bread, this unleavened bread that they would be eating, for the disciples to hear this, this bread would have significance. And if we went back and looked more at Deuteronomy 16, where, where Moses kind of gives the instructions to the nation, this bread is referred to as the bread of affliction. This bread would remind you of essentially the slavery that you and your nation had been in for the last 400 years and the oppression from the Egyptians. So they would remember that with this bread, this affliction. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body. This is where the disciples go, <clears throat> what? <laughs> this is my body. This bread, this celebration that you would do once a year when you celebrate Passover is now no longer about, this bread is no longer about your affliction. It's about me. It's about me. In that I was broken for your affliction. It's not about your affliction anymore. It's about me. And then it says he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So what is a covenant? What do you guys think? Any, any definitions out there? Covenant? Promise. Yeah. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's, it's an agreement. Normally, when you use the word covenant, there's this natural connotation that comes with it in biblical times of an agreement and a promise that was made between not necessarily two equal parties, right? Between one party that was greater than the other. And there are different, there are different types of these covenants, the different types of the agreements. Just, just like when, you know, I made an agreement to pay off my home loan, they made me sign like, 400 pages and initial next to every line that you read and you understood that this is what this meant, right? That was kind of a big deal. But, you know, when I log into Facebook for the first time and create my account, I just click that user agreement box like, all right, here, move on. Don't even read it. Let's go, right? Not all agreements are the same. 
So there are different kind of types of covenants out there. And some of the covenants that we've seen already throughout history is in Genesis chapters 8 and 9, we have God made a covenant with Noah. And not really actually just with Noah. He made a covenant with Noah and the animals and all creation that God promised to say, said, I will not destroy the earth again by a flood. I will not take life from all the earth again ever by a flood. That is a promise. That's kind of one-sided. God's promised to do it. And he's given us the reminder that we see in the form of a rainbow. We have a covenant that God made with Abraham. Well, at the time it was Abram. He was not Abraham yet. In Genesis 15 and 17, and he makes a promise with Abraham that I will make your descendants as numerous as the sands of the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And he promises that his descendants, essentially, that they will live in this promised land. I think it's interesting, Jim actually talked about in the sermon last week, is that God also mentions in there that your people will be sojourners for about 400 years. He's already painted the picture that you guys are going to be, there's going to be 400 years of not good time that will be in there, but don't worry. They were forewarned. There's God's covenant and that's the thing, there's God's covenant with the people, the nation of Israel, at Sinai in Exodus 19, where I will be their God and they will be my people. And this is where we get into more of a, and a promise, more of an agreement between God and people, where God essentially says, this is what I will do as your God, and this is my expectation of you as my people. And the people, there's almost like this call and response at parts where it's like, yes, we'll do it. Where do you think, in an agreement between God and people, where God says, I'm going to do something, and you and people in general say, we're going to do something, who do you think normally is the one to break the covenant? I'm a covenant breaker. All right? God has never broken a covenant. He's never, he's never not done what he said he'd do. So, Covenant loyalty is a major theme throughout the entire Old Testament. Throughout the entire thing, covenant loyalty is a big deal. It is one of the major themes throughout all scripture. First and second Kings is pretty much entirely all about covenant loyalty. You get past the first part of Kings and it's about Solomon and then it gets into like all these things kind of like that are happening to us because we have failed to uphold the covenant. All throughout scripture, there's these kind of calls to renew the covenant, that it needs to be restored. Deuteronomy, like how many of you guys, like you kind of read Exodus and then you get to Deuteronomy and you feel like, I've just read the same thing twice? Like what's going on here? Deuteronomy was like a call to the people to remember covenant, to remember the agreements that we made with God, him as our God and we as his people. Jeremiah, the, uh, the, who we believe to be the author of First and Second Kings, also wrote, God told him essentially about the need for a new covenant. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. How does God view his covenant with his people? This is like a marriage covenant, people. 
and God is the husband and you broke it. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember their sin no more. Later in Jeremiah here, he refers to it as an everlasting covenant. This new covenant that's coming, it will be an everlasting covenant. There will not be a need to make a new one. The next one, the new one that's going to be made, will be the everlasting one. The everlasting one. One that has the ability to transform us from the inside out. That God's laws will be written on our hearts. It will be from inside of us. One that where we get to know God. We can all know God from the least to the greatest, from the tallest to the shortest, the thinnest, the biggest. Everybody can know God. And that you can be forgiven for your sins. We can be forgiven for our transgressions that we have trespassed against God. And that we can stand before God um, justified. He says, I will remember their sin no more. Uh, Jim always puts it as that justified as being like just as, just as if I had never sinned. Just as if we had never sinned, we can stand before God because of the new covenant that's coming. Just the new covenant. So we go back to Matthew. And he took the cup in 27. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Wine was normally a drink of celebration, a drink of royalty. This was to be a celebration, remembering what God has done. Drink of it, for this is my blood. Once again, the disciples would be like, hold on. Something different here. My blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. There's the language that, that Jesus is using here is very much a language for a sacrificial system, a sacrificial society. We have blessing it, breaking it, giving it, pouring it out. That there's a sacrifice that's going to need to be made. I think it's interesting in that this, that this is that the blood that's here is the new covenant. Another uh, in the Greek form for the word covenant, there's a different word that they use than covenant. It's testament. Our Bibles that we hold, most of them, I'm pretty certain, certain yours is like mine, is broken into two parts. There's the old testament. There is the old covenant, and then there is the new. Testament. There's the new covenant that's been made between God and people. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. I think it's interesting here 
is that it says it's poured out for many. It doesn't say that it's poured out for all. Not everyone will accept Jesus' offering. There will be some that reject it, some that feel that they just don't need it, which will be the same as rejecting it. But not all will accept it. But many will. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins so that we can have that new relationship with God. As we look in 29, he says, this was one of the parts I found most confusing when I first looked at it. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If, if we were to keep going on and looking here at the rest of the story in Matthew and the rest of it, what's continued, Jesus, Jesus' disciples are in for a very wild ride. Because Jesus is about to be taken away. He's about to be betrayed by one of his own. And he's going to be taken away and he's going to be beaten. And he's going to be flogged. And he's going to be tried by the religious leaders who represent God's authority. Interesting thing. And then he's going to be crucified. And he knows this is coming. And he's tried to kind of drop hints to his disciples, sometimes blatantly telling, like, this is going to happen. And they're just like, no. And for the disciples, it's going to happen. And they're going to be like sheep scattered. And they're going to be wondering, like, what's going on? What do we do now? Jesus is dead. Like, they're lost. They're worried about being hunted people now because people are going after Christians and those followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And, and life is just going to be very, very difficult and strange for them for a little bit of time. And that's a reminder for us that there's going to be times, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be times where you feel that God is absent in your life. Where is God at? Where is he working in my life? What's going on? I feel lost. I feel confused. I feel bewildered by things that are going on in this world. All these things that come into cloud are judgment and our thinking. And here Jesus has told his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There will be a day that we sit down together and we will drink this together. We will celebrate together. We will celebrate in my Father's kingdom. Jesus has been talking about that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand all throughout his earthly ministry. And that one day it's going to be completed and I am going to sit down with you. And this is good news. So we come to communion. Communion, as we know it, is the, the celebration that we do of the, of the Last Supper, the, the Lord's Supper, as some people call it, was when they were celebrating Passover. When we celebrate it here during the last song, we, we take the bread and we dip it in the juice, and then we eat it. So we take that bread, we're remembering Jesus himself, Jesus' body, his life, what he did, what he said, how he loved, what he's promised. And that it's not about our affliction, it's about his affliction, about what he's done for us. That it was given to, to and for us freely. 
It wasn't taken, it was given. And his blood that's been poured out for you, his blood that's been poured out for you is the new covenant. It's the new agreement between God and people that we can experience forgiveness of sins and that we can stand justified before God, that we can stand right before God on this new covenant, that spiritual death can pass over us because we are covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. Paul tells the church in Corinth that Christ is our Passover lamb. That's what he is. Paul also gives just a little bit of just a little bit of warning when he's talking about communion to the Corinthians in chapter 11. He tells them to make sure to examine yourselves. Normally here as a church when we take it and like, you know, from up front they'll tell you take some time and examine yourself sit before coming to the table. And Paul talks about that a little bit more about examining yourself and because they were having there was some issues that were going on in the Corinthian church around celebrating communion. So well, what does it look like to examine yourself before communion? that time where we're waiting when the song has been sung and and it's time when do I go to the table one of the things that communion is not um, it is definitely not a post sermon snack um, to tide you over till the last song is done and you can go to the coffee table in the back and get some donuts that's not what communion is communion should not be it's not a just a obligatory ritual that you should participate in because everybody else is standing up and I should do it. And I don't want to be like singled out in the crowd as like, I mean, did you see him? He didn't get up to go take communion. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with them? That shouldn't be your reasoning. And I've been there where you go, like I sat there for a while and you go, man, it's been like three people have gone now. I think now is a good time for me to go. Now I'll go. Or I don't want to be the first to go take communion. You know, like there's, that's pressure. That comes with pressure. <laughs> that we're supposed to examine ourselves before we go to the table. Jesus talks earlier in his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about like when you come to the altar, when you came to offer a sacrifice and you realized you had a grievance with a brother, you had, he said just leave it there at the altar and go deal with that grievance and then come back and make your offering. It's kind of a similar thing to this table. We come to the table to celebrate what God has done, what Jesus has done for us, that death has passed over us, spiritual death has passed over us. We come to celebrate that. We come to celebrate that. So if when we come to that, we should come to that in a spirit of celebration and excitement for what God has done. But if we're coming to celebrate the forgiveness that God has shown us and the love and the mercy that he has shown us... <laughs> And we realize there's someone, you know, here in this room or elsewhere that we haven't been, we've been harboring a grudge towards them. We have not forgiven them. We have not shown them mercy. We have not loved them. You should probably take care of that first before you come to the table. You should be reconciled to your brother. One of the things, too, communion is, it started out the celebration of Passover was in families. And then it moved to the nation and now Jesus has brought communion, the celebration of the Last Supper. He's brought it to his disciples. It's for God's disciples. So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, communion's not for you. 
You don't need to stand up and go take it just to feel like you're fitting in with the crowd. Sitting there in your seat during it is perfectly fine. It's for, it's for his believers. And it would be my hope and my prayer for each and one of you that are not a follower of Jesus that you would become one. That we'd love to see you come one to accept the gift that Jesus has offered, the sacrifice that he's given. That we could help you place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and be a church. Evan mentions every Sunday that everyone's on a spiritual journey and no one should walk that journey alone. We at LifePoint here would love to walk on that journey with you as we learn and experience what it means to love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and all the other things that are in there. We would be excited to do that with you. So I hope today, as we take communion, as we do every Sunday, that maybe it would have new meaning, that maybe it would have, maybe you'd be reminded of something, something that you need to deal with in your own life, some forgiveness that you need to be had. Maybe your forgiveness is you need to ask God for forgiveness because you've done something to wrong God. John tells us that if we're faithful and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Must take some time and examine yourself. I don't know your motivations when you come to take communion. I don't know your heart. Only the one that is the setter of the table who's provided his body and shed his blood knows your motivations for coming to the table. So examine yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave your son, that he chose to be and was willing to be our Passover lamb. Father, that he was willing to sacrifice himself so that we could have a relationship with you so that spiritual death could pass us over, that it could pass by. Father, we thank you for that grace and that mercy that you've so freely poured out upon us. Father, as we take this time to remember what you've done, what you've done for us when we come to celebrate. Father, I ask that you would help to transform our hearts as you've promised with your new covenant, that you transform us from the inside out, that you write it on our hearts. And Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.